Hey everyone, my name is Erin Hughes, and this is Episodes to Wellbeing at Work. The phrase musculoskeletal disorder refers to any type of pain in the muscles or joints, from chronic pain to injuries to post-surgical pain. Many of us have suffered from a musculoskeletal or MSK issue at some point in our lives. In fact, one in two Americans is struggling with an MSK condition right now. So it's no surprise that musculoskeletal disorders are one of the top financial costs to employers due to medical spend, time spent away from work, and lost productivity. In addition to the pain itself, employees can experience reduced quality of life and even impaired mental health as they navigate MSK issues. To learn more about how employers can reduce their spending and ensure employees receive appropriate care, we spoke with Dr. Joseph Ruan, Medical Director of Ohio Health's McConnell Heart Health Center, and Jose Santos, physical therapist with Ohio Health Employer Solutions. Together, we discussed how employers can start navigating employees to the appropriate care path, as well as opportunities for organizations to prevent MSK issues from occurring in the first place. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today to talk about some musculoskeletal conditions and injuries and just in general, MSK problems being a really big cost driver for a lot of employers. If both of you want to go ahead and tell me a little bit about what you see in your line of work, what maybe are some of the main injuries or causes of concern or, or just why people are directed towards you in general? From a practice perspective, we do non-surgical orthopedic care. And what we've seen or data that we observed is that over the last 10 years, especially from 2010 to 2020, the MSK spend among employers has doubled and nationwide that is 10 billion to 20 billion dollars so this is obviously a significant concern if we break it down a little bit and look at what are the drivers of this one of the primary issues is emergency room visits patients not knowing what to do with an acute injury and it can be anything as simple as a bad ankle sprain to a fracture go to the emergency room and it's important to realize the emergency room's intention or purpose is to make sure you do not have a very serious problem, especially life-threatening or that needs urgent care from a surgeon or a specialist. If you have what we'll call a basic MSK problem, they may take some x-rays, but just tell you, hey, there's nothing bad going on here, follow up with someone. So that's a very expensive visit that doesn't really accomplish much. So what we're looking at is how do we drive, how do we educate employers to help their employees know that the ER may not be the first place to go and that there are other opportunities for them and it may not be emergent? You're right. A lot of people just run to the ER just because of lack of education, whether it's an MSK issue or something that you maybe could see a clinic for. So I think a lot of people just think that the ER is more accessible to them. Agree. And it's a hard habit to break. So that's one of the things that partnerships could help with. And it would be important to let them know what other opportunities are available. Even urgent care is less expensive than the ER. And we have connections with our urgent care. So they direct you more quickly to the care you need rather than the ER. So it seems like a little thing, but it's actually a big thing to be aware of. Definitely starts with that education portion that Dr. Rwanda stated. Even internally with Ohio Health, we were having managers send injured workers to the ER downstairs 
and then with the medical director and with the associate health clinics, we started to educate and push out criteria of what you should go to. For example, if someone sprains an ankle during a work shift, what are they going to do in the yard ER to make that better? And this is happening in the second and third shifts where managers don't know where our associate health clinics are closed at that time. But it's just at home, if someone has a sprained ankle, you're going to run to the ER. So we're pushing out education to wait for a day, document it if you're during work, if you have to miss the work, and then go to the associate health clinic the next day to mitigate those costs that will occur in the ER. But a lot of it starts with that education to our managers and to our leadership of giving them a standard process of what to do when the worker is actually hurt at work. To go along with the education component of this, both of you have referenced some basic MSK issues or injuries. And I'm wondering if maybe you both could dive in a little bit on what some of those injuries might be, because probably for the everyday person, what is actually a basic injury that can wait and doesn't need emergent care might feel very urgent to somebody else who has that injury. The number one issue that employers face is back injuries and back pain. And if there's education I can offer, not only to the employer, but to the public in general, is that we have learned quite clearly over the years that even though the pain you may incur initially from a back injury may be intense, and sometimes it's honestly debilitating. I've had patients who have difficulty getting out of bed to come to the office because the pain is that bad. You'd be surprised to know that the vast majority of the time, the underlying injury causing that pain is not serious. And by not serious, I mean, it's generally not a large herniated disc that needs surgical attention. It's not a terribly pinched nerve. It's most often pathology that can be treated with a course of medicine and therapy and time and things get better. And along with that is the expense of the MRI. Many patients with this think they have something bad and they want an MRI and MRIs. If you do not have a tumor or a frank herniated disc that's pinching a nerve with pain down your leg, we have learned that MRIs are very limited use in back pain. They really don't show us that much. And that's surprising to a lot of folks. Actually, they lead to other discussions and treatments that aren't necessary because we see things on a picture that patient thinks we need to treat. And it's just not true. Most back pain is managed quite easily away from the urgent settings. Correct. And and what can they do in the ER? Like you said, there's going to be imaging, right? Is that useful or not useful? And then they're going to hit you up with some medication and then they're going to send you home. That is not the visit that a low back acuity needs to go to an ER visit. And if you get admitted because of high pain, you're going to go to an OBS unit. When you go to the OBS unit, they're going to make sure your pain is controlled. They're going to rule out anything bad for the imaging, and then they're going to send you home. And then they're going to still send you to therapy. So you can bypass all that with rest, time, meds, and then try therapy when your pain is controlled. A huge cost right there. It sounds like it can be spiraled into a cycle where they experience pain, they go to the ER, they get imaging and medication, and it's still not better. So then that brings them back to experiencing pain, back to the ER and things. So I think the education piece and having a sense of calm, if we can encourage people to have a sense of calm and wait it out, like you were saying, and really figure out 
if this can wait and if it can, where is the best place for me to go so that I can get the actual care for the root of my injury instead of just maybe treating the pain of the injury that is making it feel so emergent and so intense right now. Common injuries for our workers are back, neck, shoulder, and knee. The biggest cost driver we're seeing is not the medical cost. That's a direct cost. Medical cost with a worker's compensation claim is one portion. The biggest pie is the indirect cost. And that is the biggest metric that the BWC, the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, lists as the, the, the biggest cost for an employer. So that is defined as lost days or restricted days. So in Ohio Health, we've had over 11,000 in each category in the last three years. So you, you're taking 11,000 restricted days between 1920 and 21 and you're taking over 11,000 lost days in 2019 and 2021. Wow. So just think about how many, you know, how many years is that compared to just medical visits, medication, imaging, the indirect cost is the biggest cost driver. So when you, when a person is off work, that's when the bill starts adding up. That, that is just great data. And I want to combine two things that you're both saying. You know, one, the, the indirect costs, and two, what you said earlier about going back to the ER because the pain's not resolved. Underlying those indirect costs, and there have been some really good studies in the past several years that looked at where are employers losing money on caring for their employees. There is not a nice, consistent, clean care pathway offered to them. They go to the ER and their prescribed medicine, as was said, and then they're sent to their family physician. Their family physician may feel, maybe they feel ill-equipped or they're not the right person to deal with this, and then they set up a, an appointment with a specialist down the road. But meanwhile, an MRI may get ordered, and then that ends up in a chiropractor's office, and the chiropractor sends them somewhere else, and then the patient gets lost and frustrated, and then they start seeking care on their own. All this time, they're out of work, and they're spending money. Mm -hmm. So having a clean care pathway is something that on both ends through the uh, non-clinical services and through Ohio health practices, we make sure you follow an evidence-based care pathway to make sure you're getting the quickest, most concise, and most cost-effective care you can get. Otherwise, patients end up chasing pain and chasing problems, and it costs a lot of time out of work and a lot of money. And I can see these indirect costs causing a lot of stress as well, especially for people who maybe are living paycheck to paycheck or have to support mm -hmm. other people or many people or children. Just having a high level of stress around missing work, around job security, maybe job demands even, and the work culture. Maybe they feel a, an overwhelming expectation to be at work regardless of their level of pain and their ability to be productive while they're at work. Very true. And we don't even measure the psychological aspect. It's always the objective measures that we measure as far mm -hmm. as you know, what's your lumbar pain, what are your outcome measures. But the psychological aspect is the stress levels aren't measured in those cases you know, a lot of times. So I think we've touched on this roundabout for the last several minutes here, but if we could narrow it down and make it a little bit more clear, how would you suggest, how can we avoid these high cost surgeries or this cyclic treatment that doesn't really do much? Where would you suggest an employer intervene? How can they help their employees get there and avoid these surgeries and really take control of their pain? 
from my end, it's aligned with the provider. And, and that is something that may be foreign to an employer, but pick a teammate, pick a provider. And there are quite frankly, uh, third party companies that offer this, or we can offer pathways within Ohio, within Ohio Health, where you choose the provider that is your first go-to when you have an issue. And then you count on them and you set up metrics together to help determine we're going to look at your costs and we're going to help you lower your costs by identifying the primary cost generators and then apply effective pathways to help your employees get through their injuries without getting lost in the system and without getting expensive tests that they don't need. So from my end, it's just aligning with the right person, making sure you have a relationship, which is something that may be new to some employers. It may be like, I, I just never thought of actually partnering with a healthcare company to help me reduce my costs. Yeah, that's excellent information there. You have to have a relationship with the provider and not only with quality care, it also decreases the lost days and restricted days when you can change that Medco, when you can get those restrictions changed sooner rather than every two weeks. So when we revised our program internally here with Ohio Health 2019 with Associate Health, we dropped our length of claim by 30 days with those four categories, neck, back, shoulder, and knee. And we dropped our workers' compensation costs in the last 30 years by 60%. So yeah. our injured workers are going back to work faster with more quality because we give them the education with the transitional work program and our costs are going down. But it just doesn't start with there because that's the reactive part of it. We're giving services after an injury. So what I say to employers, where do you want to focus on? So I like to focus on the preventative bucket. Are these injured workers, are they pre-fitted for the job tasks that they're going to perform? If your job task is requiring 50 pounds, do you have that person before they're hired or during your onboarding, are you testing them? Do they have the positional mobility, spinal mobility, and strength to perform those job duties accurately and safely? Does your employer have annual training on proper biomechanics for lifting specified to those job tasks? Are they looked at? Are this, is it from a floor lift? Is it a mid-thigh to waist lift? Is it a shoulder lift? Are the people being seen for any past medical history that they have? So if somebody has to lift from shoulder to overhead, do they have anything in their medical history that is a barrier to that job task? So a lot of people will look at cost after the fact people are hurt. I like to look at the preventative aspects before the injury. Is the equipment, are they looked at on a quarterly basis? We had one factory I went into, one of the equipment was down and it was down for uh, a week or two. So they had to do the manual labor, which means increased reps, which increases the intensity, which increases your risk of injury. So things of that nature, I like to clean up first because that will help. It doesn't eliminate it, but it does reduce the risk of injury. But then again, on the reactive side, is do we have that relationship with the provider and a good on-site safety person with that employer where everything will run smoothly from an injury to back to full duty? I just want to underline that so much. That is fantastic. When I'm speaking of the best way to manage your care pathway, the best way to manage that is not get to me in the first place. I love that. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That is just phenomenal input. It is wonderful that we can help employees and employers get their people the right education and the right treatment for the correct injuries. But it's really all about that prevention, both from a financial standpoint for the company, but also their employees are going to be much happier 
if they're not injured, if they don't have to come to work with pain, and if they know that when they need care, they're going to get the care that they need in an efficient way. Jose, you mentioned transitional work and ergonomics, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering, Dr. Ruan, you talked about some non-surgical orthopedic problem solutions, and so I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit more about that and what that means for the patients that you see, and maybe somebody listening can relate to that. So what does non-surgical orthopedics mean? Patients want more and more minimally invasive procedures or less invasive things done. No one likes to face a big surgery and employers want quicker return to work time. Well, as these two thoughts merge, the field of non-surgical orthopedics is developing techniques that most people don't even know about. For instance, something that's very common, tennis elbow. If someone has a tennis elbow and they've had medicine and therapy and a shot and it doesn't go away, it may end up in surgery. It's a very common workman's compensation claim. Surgical recovery for that is three to six months before return to full duty. We have something that we do right in the office. I'm gonna say a fancy name, it's called ultrasound guided percutaneous tenotomy. But what that means is under ultrasound, we can use a very small tool about the size of a needle, just using a numbing agent. There's no anesthesia, no expense of a hospital. And using that tool, we can clean out the scarred tendon almost just like they do in surgery. The patient leaves with a Band-Aid and the recovery is six weeks instead of six months. And that is new to a lot of folks. People may not have heard of it. If you want to look up something on the internet, you can look up something called TenJet, T-E-N-J-E-T, and explains exactly what this is. These are the kind of things that are out there, but Surgery rules the day, and the old pathways are to send people to surgery. And we're trying to get these new things accepted and introduced. And there are other techniques aside from that, but I think that's a great highlight of some things that people don't even know about. Just the time to recover alone is so incredibly different that I think a lot of people would definitely want to do a non-invasive procedure just for the shortened recovery time, because you're right, that's a lot of time on the employer, a lot of time on the employee for financials. And even like we talked a little bit about earlier, the mental health aspect of being injured and having to take time off of work or having to have limited duties at work, especially if you work in a physical job. And there are other things like coming down the pike very soon is something called ultrasound guided carpal tunnel release. It's a very similar thing where carpal tunnel is a very common issue. Technique has been developed where this can be treated in the office. It's something we're looking at quite seriously. And again, instead of a several month recovery, which sometimes has cervical complications, there are times when it's a one to two week return to work process and very, very, very low complication rate. And there are even other things like biologic therapies. We won't spend a lot of time going into that, but people may have heard something called platelet-rich plasma, which is PRP, which is a, a new way we have to heal chronic injuries that won't heal without going to surgery. So these are all exciting things that they're gonna require some time and some education to help get this out into the workplace, but we're helping people get back to work more quickly with these interventions. I love it. For what I do and what employer solutions can provide, we're looking at those ergonomic assessments and job analysis. So I give the employer, and these can be office or they can be on the floor in the factories. The office 
you would be surprised how many people don't know how to adjust their chair, proper eye positions, distance away from the computer, just setting up monitor risers. So doing those for your office people can help prevent MSKs. But for on the floor and in the factories, I like to take a look at the stations and then give them the ergonomic recommendations based on spinal position, intensity, and repetition. That way the employer knows, okay, these are our higher risks. What can we do? As far as the transitional work, it's way different. A lot of people don't even know what transitional work is. This is something the state offers. We provide it privately. BWC listed as a major component in decreasing workers' compensation costs, and it's way different than outpatient physical therapy. What happens is the therapist actually comes to the on-site factory and provides transitional work, helping that injured worker get back to full duty, using their job task, but also using therapeutic exercise, manual therapy, and biomechanic and education training on-site at their job station. So we're actually giving them recommendations based on their specific job, which cannot be produced, simulated into an outpatient clinic. So that's the big driver where we can help manage that claim along the way. There's a lot of communication with that that happens. It's not just the therapist to injured worker, it's therapist to the provider to as well, the safety person on site at the factory and any kind of claims analyst too as well. I love that that transitional work is on site. I think that would be so beneficial for so many people and so many employers as well. Think about it. If you're going to get paid to do physical therapy or transitional work at work while you're at work, this is why it works so well here within Ohio Health at Riverside. Our cancel rate is is low. It's In an outpatient clinic, it's usually 15 to 20%. I'm looking at probably one cancel every two weeks because they're here at work and they get to do it. So same thing in, into a factory. You're at work and you're going to take a half hour, 45 minutes to go see the therapist to get training, get your exercises, and get your job restrictions progressed. So that cancel rate goes down. So what happens when your cancel rate goes down? Your claim length decreases, right? Mm -hmm. So that person is going to get to full duty faster and more efficiently, which decreases the costs. So it really is sounding here that if employers want to focus on reducing financial costs and improving their employees' quality of life, and showing them that they have value, it's really going to be about prevention and correct treatment in the appropriate timeline. So if we have any last advice that you would give either to employers or employees to help them along that journey, what would you each say? I would like to offer something that I can't emphasize enough. It's exceedingly important. It's an epidemic in not only our workplace, but our society. I was asked once as the medical director of McConnell, which is a, a health and wellness and a preventive center, if I had one wish for the society, what would it be? And I could put it in two words and it would be move more. We do not move enough. You know, some of the work from home transitions may actually be beneficial from this uh, standpoint because maybe people are moving around a bit more, but those in office settings or those that are not in a place where they are very mobile, I cannot underemphasize the impact we are learning on how this affects health, productivity, mood, depression, anxiety. All of these things are affected by sitting for prolonged periods or lack of mobility. A few years ago, a phrase came out, sitting is the new smoking. 
Is that dramatic? Yes and no, but it was very effective in getting a message out there. And there's actually a statistic around that. You know, it, it is said that a smoker's life is shortened by 11 minutes per cigarette. Every half hour, people sit continuously decreases their lifespan by about 22 minutes overall. So think about that. Sitting affects our blood sugar regulation. It affects the way we process food, the way we process certain hormones. It's really an epidemic that we're facing. So finding ways for your people to just get up, take walks, move around the office. Please don't sit for more than an hour at a time. The impact on your company, the impact as an individual, this is information you could take home as an individual as well, is something I cannot emphasize enough. Absolutely. And I think from the fitness and wellness standpoint, those are some of our most popular offerings is our 10-minute get-up-and-move breaks for people who have been seated for a long time and just need to get up and stretch and incorporate some of those movements to, like you were saying, add time back onto our life, whether we're from home or hybrid or we're back in the office we're seated a lot more than we probably would like to be and definitely more than we should be. Agreed. From my end, I would say for employers to know that workplace safety, workplace prevention, controlling costs is multifactorial and is it a team approach. So it should be looked at the preventative side, but also having that relationship with the safety person on site and your provider to make things run smoothly and efficiently. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much both of you for being here and chatting with me. I think this has been wonderful discussion and eye-opening for me, and I hope that everyone else listening can find value in it and really feel called to take action for their employees and, and through their employer. Thanks for having us. Always Thank happy you. to chirp in and, and you know offer things that could help, again, not only employees, but everyone in general. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I, I love the awareness of all this and the other options that are out there compared to what's standard and what they know. So it's great. When your employees are free from pain, they're happier, more productive, and contribute to a healthier work environment. By encouraging and supporting education, exercise, and non-surgical therapies, employers can develop a trusting culture where employees can thrive, and so can your business. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode to Wellbeing at Work.